Open up your Bible to Luke chapter 8. In the Pew Bible, it's on page 723. Luke chapter 8, we're going to be looking at verses 40 through 56 in just a moment. Um, but as you're getting there, if you haven't been with us, we're journeying through this season of Lent by way of the Gospel of Luke. And together, we are reflecting on the stories of people who had close encounters with Jesus. And as the witness of the Gospels come into focus for us, we're coming to better appreciate I think, how meeting Jesus radically changes one's life. Each engagement that we look at, that we have, that we will look at, offers us a deeper understanding of how our thoughts, our desires, our expectations, our future actions are transformed when we engage Christ in an ongoing relationship. And as you turn to Luke chapter 8, today's close encounter with Jesus, you're going to find out, is a story within a story. And this story within a story will prompt us to consider what does faith in Jesus look like? What does faith in Jesus look like? Is it an easy trust, a quiet confidence, an assured sense of belonging? Is it a brave face during tough times, unwavering belief, or maybe as we put ourselves in the shoes of a long-suffering woman and a distraught father, just maybe, <laughs> as we put ourselves in the shoes of a long-suffering woman or a distraught father, maybe what we're going to see is that faith looks more like desperation. So if you have your Bibles open to Luke chapter 8, join me in reading, starting at verse 40. Let us hear the word of the Lord. Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house, because his only daughter, a girl of about twelve, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowd almost crushed him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for twelve years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, Don't be afraid. Just believe, and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, My child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. And this is the word of the Lord. 
Thanks be to God. Keep those Bibles open so you can look back to them. But as this scene before us unfolds, Jesus, just to give you some perspective, has been on the other side of Galilee in Gentile territory. And as we come upon where we started today, he's now returning to, if you will, home turf, Jewish territory. And clearly, you can see from the scene that Luke puts before us, word of his exploits, his teachings, his challenges, his signs and wonders has gone around, gotten around because Jesus' reputation precedes him. There is a crowd waiting for him as he reaches the shore. In fact, Luke hastens to ask, they've been expecting Jesus. And as Jesus steps out of the boat and right into the needs of the people, out of the multitudes, one man emerges and throws himself down at the feet of Jesus. Luke informs us this isn't just any random stranger. This man is named Jairus. He is a respected member of the town, a prominent leader at the local synagogue. And Jairus doesn't mince words. He gets right to the point as he comes not on his own behalf, but pleads for the life of his daughter. Jairus' only daughter is staring death in the face at the age of 12. She's staring death in the face just as her whole life is beginning to be ahead for her. Jesus begins to follow Jairus to his house, but he doesn't get very far. Luke now adds some more detail about the amount of people pressing in upon Jesus. Their size is so great, if you can picture it, that Jesus can barely move forward. The crowd is nearly suffocating him. And in the midst of this scene, our attention suddenly becomes drawn to one woman. In one woman in this throbbing mass that surrounds Jesus, Luke does not tell us her name. We are not given any information about her family or her position in society. All we are told by Luke, the physician, by the way, all we are told by Luke is her debilitating and embarrassing physical condition. For 12 years, this poor woman has been suffering from unrelenting hemorrhages, uncontrollable bleeding, most likely due to menstruation. Despite the thickness of the mob surrounding Jesus, this unnamed woman tries to remain anonymous even as she risks exposure by reaching out to touch Jesus. Mark's version of this story in his gospel actually gives us a glimpse into the internal dialogue in this woman's mind. Mark writes that this woman said to herself, if I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. And Luke helps us to picture this woman carefully squeezing through this crowd and working her way to come up behind Jesus. Low to the ground, once she is within arm's length, this woman reaches out and just barely grazes the fringe of Jesus' robe. And immediately, Luke tells us, she is healed. She becomes clean. Then, just as the ambulance, if you will, is about to pull away from the scene, just as Jesus is about to get back to his original mission of going to Jairus' house, word comes that in the midst of this unanticipated delay, his daughter has died. At first, it would appear that Jairus' worst fears have just come true. But Jesus says something different something unexpected. Do not fear. Don't be afraid. Just believe and she will be healed. Jesus abruptly calls off the professional mourners. He tells them to save their tears and to lower their voices. Do not weep for she is not dead but sleeping. And suddenly the sound of sorrowful crying becomes the noise of mocking laughter. 
However, Jesus defies the laughter of the crowd. He shuts the door on their unbelief, even as he invites Jairus, his wife, and three of his disciples, Peter, John, and James, into the privacy, the intimacy of his presence. Luke then tells us Jesus speaks to Jairus' daughter, and her spirit returned. She stood up, and Jesus tells them to feed her. Jairus' daughter, once dead, is lifted from the bed and restored to life and health. This is a quick snapshot of the scene that Luke puts before us, and you may have noticed that I've intentionally glossed over some of the details so that we can take another pass at this picture and figure some things out. As I mentioned earlier, this is a story within a story, so the question becomes, how are these two stories related to each other? What do they have in common? In the midst of their different And yet, related circumstances, what I think these stories have in common is a touch of desperation. A touch of desperation. Consider, Luke tells us that, and the other gospel writers will add, that this unnamed woman has spent all she had on physicians like him, Luke, the doctor. She's tried every known medical treatment to no avail. No one, none of Luke's colleagues have been able to help or cure her. Think about it, after a decade, more than a decade of suffering, of isolation from her family, her friends, her neighbors, how easy would it have been for this woman to give up, to no longer reach out? With 12 years of disappointment and rejection behind her, how tempting must it have been for this woman to simply accept her defiled, sick, and broken condition as permanent and beyond healing? And yet, this woman in her desperation dares to come out of the shadows. Out of her desperation, this woman risks not only another failed cure, but a rebuke for touching Jesus, for reaching out and by association, making him unclean. And speaking of desperation, what of this father? This father what of Jairus? His only daughter is dying. Desperation has already driven him to disregard the dignity of his reputation and to throw himself at the feet of Jesus. And time is at a premium. Consider this father's struggle as right after his urgent plea, Jesus stops and lingers to heal this unnamed woman. Is it hard to imagine that Jairus was wrestling with impatience and fear in the midst of this unexpected delay? Can we even fathom how it shook him to learn, just as Jesus was about to reach his house, that it was too late, that his daughter was dead. His family and his friends surround him, telling him not to add insult to injury. There's no need for the teacher anymore. Resign yourself to what happened. Clearly, this is outside the scope of even his power. This is impossible. And yet, against all hope of anything in this world, Jairus dares in his desperation to take Jesus at his word. Out of his desperation, he refuses to accept the door that is closed right in front of him. And instead, he follows Jesus beyond what every instinct, all logic tells him is possible. My friends, in entering into the stories of Jairus and this unknown woman this morning, many of us, I think, will relate to their heartache, perhaps even their sense of urgency. But my question is, will we follow the desperate nature of their faith? 
Because I think that in this encounter, Jesus affirms the disposition of Jairus and this unnamed woman as a model for us to emulate. Will we follow the desperate nature of their faith? And I ask this because I don't think that we typically frame desperation in a positive light. I don't know if you've ever looked up the word desperation, but the very definition of the word is the feeling, showing, or involving of a hopeless sense that a situation is so bad as to be impossible to deal with. The very definition implies a negative association. We, we're not much for being desperate, are we? I mean, we, we discourage each other from acting like or coming across to another person as though we're desperate. To do so is to embarrass oneself as well as to put the object of our attention in an awkward position. No one wants to be desperate. And yet Jesus in this passage affirms the desperation of both Jairus and particularly this unnamed woman. One part of the story that I didn't talk about is after being healed, you notice this anonymous woman slowly attempts to back away. And as she slowly attempts to back away, Jesus calls her out publicly. Not to rebuke her, but to give this woman her identity back. As she comes trembling, we're told, and falling down before Jesus, confessing before everyone what she's done, Jesus speaks to her tenderly and affirmingly. He says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Do you catch that? She's no longer a nameless woman, defined by her condition, Isolated by her wound, Jesus restores her place in the community as he reminds her of her true name. Just like the child of Jairus, she too is daughter. A daughter of Israel. A beloved daughter of the covenant in whom God is well pleased. My friends, what we learn from this encounter today, this encounter with Jesus, is there is nothing wrong with being desperate. There is nothing wrong with being desperate. At some point in our lives, we all face obstacles we cannot overcome. Problems for which we cannot find an answer. And losses from which we feel we will never recover. There is nothing wrong with being desperate. The question is, when such moments arrive, where do we look for answers? To where do we let our desperation drive us? To where do we run for help? My friends, there is nothing wrong with being desperate provided we allow our desperation to lead us to Christ. And the question I'm going to repeat probably too many times this morning is how desperate are we for Jesus? How desperate are we for Jesus? Like I said, we don't like to be desperate. And in in the world we live in, especially in today's world, we convince ourselves we don't have to be desperate. We can access all kinds of information and resources today. We can look up remedies and solutions on the internet. We can pursue more money or wealth to throw at our problems. We can try to lean on our family and our friends to get us through the unthinkable. We can get a prescription for our anxiety or our worries or just self-medicate through alcohol or marijuana. We don't have to be desperate, we think. But none of these things that I've mentioned, none of these things, these go-to places for us will resolve that feeling, that awareness, that awareness of that gap, that awareness of that fear, 
when it comes upon us. All the things that I've mentioned, all the things that we go to, yep, they might take the edge off for a bit, no doubt. All that stuff that we buy, that we throw money at, it might buy us a little more time. And yeah, our family and our friends can hold us up, but they can only do so for so long. After all, they're flesh and blood just like us. They're wrestling with their own sense of desperation in this world too. My friends, if our desperation drives us anywhere else but Jesus, we only invite and confront deeper hopelessness and despair. This is because desperation on its own is a killer. Apart from Christ, desperation leaves us trapped in our fears. The shadows get darker. The hole gets deeper. The walls get higher. However, when we let our desperation drive us to encounter Christ, it becomes something different. Our desperation brings us to faith. And what we see in this passage, this encounter, is faith is not a force of our will. Hear that. Faith is not, faith is not a force of our will. Faith is submission to God's will. It's not mind over matter. It's not magic or manipulation. Faith isn't, if I have faith in Jesus, then Jesus will come through. As Jairus learns his daughter is dead, Jesus in telling Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe, isn't saying, Jairus, just think positively that something good will happen. No, Jesus is encouraging, affirming Jairus not to let his desperation give way to fear, but in his desperation to receive faith. To rely not on the certainty of his belief, but to rely on the certainty of Jesus' power. Jairus, depend on me and my authority. You've just seen me heal this woman. Trust me to deal with this, that I've got your daughter in my hands too. As this unnamed woman touches Jesus, she stop, Jesus, we remember, right, stops short and he asks aloud, who touched me? And it's the only odd and light moment in this otherwise heavy passage, right? Jesus asked, who touched me? And did you find this funny at all? Remember what I described about the crowd, right? Jesus asked, who touched me? And Luke tells us, at first, everyone denied touching Jesus. Are you kidding me? I didn't do it. I mean, they're literally like right up in there. <laughs> oh, not me. Eventually, it's hilarious. Peter states the obvious. Uh, all sorts of people are touching you right now. And yet Jesus persists in identifying the touch of this one woman. And at first, it's, it's also interesting when he identifies that he's been touched, that he wants to isolate who it is, he seems to point to a loss of power, right? That power has come out of him. A loss of power? I mean, backtrack with me. Up till now, Jesus has stilled a storm, cast out a legion of demons, raised the dead, restored lepers, healed countless other sick people, and never once broke a sweat. So now what gives? I believe that Jesus in this moment wants to distinguish this woman's touch from the hundreds of other people pressing upon him. Jesus, if you're with me, is highlighting a distinction between the proximity of this woman and the crowd. But he's distinguishing, uh, he's making a distinction between the proximity of this woman and the crowd, less in terms of physical space and more in terms of engagement in relationship with him. The crowd, if you will, seeks to exert its will upon Jesus. Luke tells us the masses are nearly crushing the life out of him. Their touch is about getting something, squeezing something out of Jesus. 
But this woman, in contrast, reaches out towards Jesus, and in reaching out towards Jesus, she's placing her life in his hands. She's not trying to get something out of Jesus. She's relying on Jesus to be able to do something to her. My friends, I'll say it one more time. Faith is not a force of our will. Faith is our submission to God's will. It's not mind over matter. It's not magic or manipulation. It's not if I have faith in Jesus, then Jesus will come through. Come through. Faith is trust and dependence. It's saying I have faith in Jesus because Jesus is the only one who can come through. If you look at this passage, it's not the perfection of this woman's faith that saved her. It's her absolute dependence upon Christ born out of her desperation for Jesus. The difference in this picture, the distinction between the touches here, reveals that it's possible to be near to Jesus and yet not really close to Jesus in relationship with Christ. It's possible because our desperation has not led us to our absolute dependence upon Jesus. Many of us, that's why we're here, we're close to Jesus. But how desperate are you for Jesus? Are you squeezing the life out of Jesus? Or are you placing your life in Jesus' hands? So often we come to church, right? We read our Bibles. We go about our walk with God. We believe we understand who Jesus is, what God has done in and through Jesus. We may even draw near to Christ, but are we depending on him? Is ours a desperate faith? Some of us refuse to be desperate, like I said. Some of us refuse to be desperate. We refuse to acknowledge how desperate our lives are apart from God. We refuse. We believe we can always figure things out. We can always find a way. We can always solve our problems. We can always resolve our conflicts, both outside and inside, internal or external conflicts. We can always do it on our own without having to be needy, without having to always ask for directions, for guidance, for help. We pray. Yeah, we pray. We reach out to Jesus as a last resort. Jesus, if you will, is our plan B. Jesus is our escape clause. Jesus is our emergency contact. But otherwise, we got this. Otherwise, we got this, right? We're pretty self-assured. But here's the truth, and there's no, really no way around it. We don't come to Jesus if we aren't desperate. We don't come to Jesus if we aren't desperate. We won't come to him. Don't kid yourselves. We won't come to him if we aren't convinced that the person and power of Christ are greater than anyone and anything we will face. As long as we believe in the power of self-help, as long as we believe in the illusion that all of our problems are solvable by us, our faith will not be in God. Our hope will be in ourselves. And beloved, it is a day to look in the mirror and ask, how desperate are you for Jesus? Is yours a desperate faith in human possibility? Good luck with that. Or is your faith born out of a desperation for Christ? 
We can't just casually touch Jesus. We can't say, well, you know what, I'll try this and that, and then if nothing else works, I'll add a little Jesus as well. It doesn't work that way. It's all or nothing. If we're going to be healed, if we're going to be saved, we need to fully embrace, to submit, to surrender, to rely upon Jesus. Because it's only when we live like our lives depend on Jesus, when our desperation drives us to realize that nothing in this world will satisfy our deepest longing and needs, it's only then that we encounter the living Christ. Not the idea of Jesus, not the story, but the living Christ. Some of us refuse to be desperate. And in that refusal, we're keeping Jesus at arm's length. Others of us have never been desperate. It's not a matter that we refuse. We've just never been desperate. Our lives have been relatively quiet, uninterrupted, and peaceful. And let me just say, praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord for that. But my friends, hear me. Just don't expect life to always be that way. You may be on the longest streak in the world. And praise God for that. I don't want to take that away at all. But just don't expect life to always be that way. While no one ought to go looking for trouble, that is not what I'm saying. No one ought to go looking for trouble. Jesus is clear. Jesus says it just like this. In this world, we will have trouble. Trouble, as we like to say, will find us. Sickness, tragedy, accidents, persecution, Separation, divorce, abandonment, bankruptcy, addiction. To be a part of this broken world, this existence of ours that's marked by sin, suffering, evil, and death, it means the moments, there are moments that will come when life as we know it will smack us in the gut and bring each of us to our knees. If you've never found yourself desperate, just hanging on the end of your rope, right? If you've never found yourself barely treading water and facing your last gasp, praise God, but know the time will come when you will. You will. I don't wish it upon you. I wouldn't wish it upon anyone. It is simply a fact of this world we live in. We cannot avoid experiencing that profound feeling of desperation at some point in our lives. But here's the thing. When that moment comes, don't be afraid. Don't let fear overwhelm you. Let your desperation drive you to Jesus. Because it's when we reach the end of our rope that we find Christ. And in, when that moment comes, and you may have to pocket this and, and store it somewhere for later, when that moment comes, it may feel as though you're encountering Jesus for the first time. As, and, and all of a sudden it may be as though all those things you've read, all those things you've heard, all those things you've told yourself you believe about Jesus will suddenly sink in, will suddenly become clear. Because when we reach, when we exhaust the limits of our will, we begin to touch and experience the will of God through Jesus in our lives. We start living out of our salvation in Christ. I need to clarify something. A story like this can be dangerous. Because, beloved, when I say we will be saved by Christ, when I say we are saved by Christ, I want to clarify something. Being saved by Jesus doesn't mean we always get the miracles we want. When we read stories like these, 
and relate them to our own desire for healing, some perspective is necessary. Not everyone receives healing in the time and manner we would like. All hemorrhages do not instantly cease, and not all the dead are brought back to life. We know this well. The thing that we need to remember is that any physical, any emotional, any mental healing we experience or we witness on this side of heaven is about affirming and pointing to our promised, fuller, complete, and everlasting wholeness. Please hear this. None of us are guaranteed tomorrow, but all of us in Christ are guaranteed eternity. All of our pain, all of our wounds are not always healed in this life. But each of us in Christ can look forward to a time and a place beyond pain, beyond suffering, beyond mourning, and yes, beyond death. Being saved by Jesus means we have been called sons and daughters of God. This is who we are. This is who we are becoming more and more each day. And no sickness, no burden, no loss can ever take that away from us. One final thing I'd like to leave you with. Some of us refuse to be desperate. Some of us have never been desperate. And then there are those of us who are in a perpetual state of desperation. Beloved, Desperation leads us to Christ. But once we have truly encountered Jesus, we can and we must move beyond a desperate faith to a living one. What I'm getting at is, and it may be you, I'm not asking for a show of hands, but there are some of us who are stuck, running in circles in a repeat pattern of desperation for Jesus. And what I want you to understand, what I want you to hear, is it's one thing to run to Jesus, but it's another thing to stay in relationship with Jesus. And too many of us remain in perpetual triage with Christ, always in a state of distress or panic, always freaking out. But my friends, what you need to see, what this story is about, is desperate faith that leads to delight. Jesus seeks to get us out of the emergency room. Jesus purposes to have a relationship with us rather than to become just a resource to us. Jesus desires, in other words, to be more than our fire extinguisher, more than our defibrillator. Jesus came to be our teacher. Jesus came to be our leader. Jesus came to be our confidant. Jesus came to be our guide. Once we've encountered Christ, truly encountered Christ out of our desperation, we have to make the, the, have the shift, allow Jesus to take us to that place where we realize our lives are no longer about finding God or waiting for God to show up. There's something fundamentally wrong that people keep having to find God. God isn't lost. <laughs> and if you've truly encountered Christ, neither are you. We don't have to look for or chase Jesus. And we say it subtly. Oh, I'm really hoping Jesus is going to show up. I'm really hoping God's going to come. He's here. We don't have to worry that Jesus is going to abandon us, that Jesus is going to get lost, or that Jesus is not going to show up. When we experience Christ, Jesus doesn't just stop by for a visit. 
Sorry, gotta go. See you next time. Through the Holy Spirit, this is what we believe. This is our faith. Through the Holy Spirit, Jesus, when we truly encounter him, makes his home with us, in us. You all know this. We've boiled it down to something really simple we tell our kids. Have you asked Jesus into your heart? What do we think? Jesus is in there, and then all of a sudden, oops, he got away. I don't know where he went. Don't know what happened. I had him a second ago. No, that, that little thing that we say to kids to try to take a big thought and make it a smaller one is we understand, we profess, that when we encounter Christ, Jesus makes his home with us and in us. Through the Holy Spirit, we become a dwelling place for God. From the first time we meet Jesus until the end of time we know it, Jesus assures us, his words, not mine, I am with you always. Being desperate for God, in other words, is where faith starts. Being desperate for God is where faith starts, but staying in a place of desperation with God is not allowing one's faith in God to mature. It's not living out of the assurance that God is for you. Desperation, beloved, for Christ is intended to turn into delight in Christ. And that happens when we abide in the relationship we have in Jesus. And what does that mean? That means abiding, that great word, abiding in Christ is about interacting with his presence. It's about interacting with the, the living reality of Christ, not just when the alarm goes off but walking and talking with him every day. It's about stopping in each moment of our lives, in whatever situation we're in, stopping and looking around to find where Jesus is in that situation and relying on his wisdom, his power, his courage in us. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, I really hope this provokes more thought and conversation because the scriptures point to this. Our desperation that leads us to faith in Christ is meant to lead to our delight in Christ. There is a beautiful confidence that comes to us as we learn to remain in the security of Christ's love. There is a beautiful confidence that comes to us as we learn to dwell in Jesus' joy, his pleasure in you. You. Desperation for Christ turns to delight in Christ when we abide in the relationship we have with Jesus. So, today's close encounter with Jesus asks us to give an honest assessment, an honest assessment of how we perceive ourselves, of how we come to God, of what we expect God to be able to do. I've said it before, and I'll say it one last time. How desperate are we for Christ? It's interesting, isn't it? It's interesting what we'll do, how our perspective changes when our backs are against the wall. The cynic might say that when we're desperate, we'll try anything. We'll even believe things that most of the time that are too outlandish to believe. But I think of it differently from this story. Maybe when we're desperate, we take a better measure of things. Maybe when we're confronted with the fragility and preciousness of life, suddenly all the stuff that consumes most of our attention, things like our pride, our position, our status, our power, they don't really matter as much anymore. 
Maybe a touch of desperation enables us to actually realize what our true needs are and where, in whom those needs are met. Beloved, out of our desperation, let us reach for Jesus. Out of the depths of our vulnerability and dependency, let us encounter together, come on, the fullness of Christ. And in that touch, let us receive the faith to know and to be known by Christ. Let us realize through our increasing reliance upon him, we don't have to live in desperation anymore. And may we discover through that ongoing relationship with Jesus, may we discover the perspective, the wisdom, and the courage to face every moment, no matter what it is, without fear. Together, in Christ, let us see everything in light of eternity, always looking to the future with anticipation and delight, relying on Jesus' promise that he will be with us until the very end of time. Amen.